You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave. Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, Honky, and this week we have another special guest for you, a little different from the others that we've had on in the past. He joins us from behind enemy lines in Hawkeye Country, where he wore the black and gold as a player under legendary head coach Hayden Fry and Kirk Ferentz. He and his partner in crime, Big Kurt, an Illinois fan, co-host an outstanding show that I've brought up several times before. The Eyes on Big Podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Jeffrey the Greek. Welcome to the Redcast, Jeffrey. Wow, that is quite the intro. Thanks a lot for having me on. Very excited to, to talk with you here. Before we get too deep into the show here, we got a lot that we want to talk about. I wanted to first kind of give you a chance to tell the Redcasters a little bit more about yourself, as well as the Eyes on the Big Ten Podcast. Yeah, so it's Eyes on Big Podcast, so Eyes on B1G you know, basically, we started it, and I think, hockey, I've just kind of gotten to know you, but something that we seem to share in common is our uh, disdain for the SEC, or at least <laughs> for the uh, level of, you know, adoration that the SEC gets from so many media outlets. So that's kind of where the Eyes on Big started. Uh, Kurt and I are both uh, very big college football fans. You know, obviously, I'm Iowa, he's Illinois, so we grew up. Big Ten fans, and at that point, uh, we were just sick of every podcast you listen to. Everything you turn into is basically, you know, they're just fawning all over the SEC. So um, at one point, I'm just like, let's do it. Let's just do a Big Ten football podcast. And he kind of laughed. He's like, yeah. I'm like, no, let's let's do it. And after a <laughs> while, he's he's the uh, the talent behind producing it. I finally goaded it into him enough where he got it going and it's actually we're coming right up on two years that we've been recording it's been a lot of fun and we look forward to continue on with it yeah it's an outstanding show i was telling you off air you know i started listening to you guys last summer and i think it's a really unique show in the sense that it is geared towards the big 10 as a whole the eyes obviously you know i'm sure that reflects on iowa and illinois being where there you go good job but having said that you guys, it's, I never have felt that it's been, you know, anywhere slanted towards one team or another. You guys are really knowledgeable of all 14 teams. And I think that there's a pride that you guys have about the Big Ten. You guys grew up in the Big Ten. Uh, that is something for Husker fans that we're still new to it. We still have our traditions that we hold on to with the Oklahomas and teams from the past. We're, what, eight years in, and uh, and we're still learning. Yeah, um, lots of compliments in there, so I appreciate it. I'm, I'm sure Kurt will listen to this, so I'm sure he appreciates listening to that, too. Um, weird, isn't it, though, that it's hard to find a Big Ten-only podcast, where I know there's tons of them out there for the SEC. I mean, I still feel like that's odd to me. And then, you know, another thing that has been cool is, like, the first season, we, we just kind of did it on our own for knowledge of the team's. But after the, the 2018 season, one of us had the idea to reach out to quote-unquote insiders. And I don't mean somebody that's like literally inside the program. I'm talking about guys like me or you, you know, that just follow our team 
Mm-hmm. And once we started reaching out to people on Twitter and just kind of buddies we knew that knew Wisconsin, that knew Penn State, at that point, that's when I would say our knowledge and the interaction with people really took off. Because all you have to do is just ask a Penn State fan, you know, for example, <laughs> to talk about his team. And, and my Penn State insider, I, you know, he's like a, I've never met him, he's like a cyber buddy of mine now. I asked him if he wanted to write something, a few things. He came back with a five-page manifesto <laughs> with with pictures and stats. I'll never forget. It was fantastic. And we got we got stuff like that from other from. So you know, we're trying to be a podcast for Big Ten fans, made by Big Ten fans, and because um, we're not in the media, mm-hmm. my God. And uh, oh, another thing I'd like to point out is you know, doing the podcast has reshaped parts of my um, thought process towards Nebraska fans, which we'll get into. Um, One of the best compliments we've gotten is from Nebraska fans where they say they've told us, DM'd us or whatever, commented and said, you know, it's great to get a point of view of Nebraska football that isn't coming from a Nebraska fan. You know, Mm -hmm. like you guys know what you're talking about, but you're not so deeply invested. And, you know, that's that's been fantastic to hear. Well, I think one of those fans that you've been able to meet up with is a, is a shared friend of the Redcast, Jim in Minnesota. <laughs> yep. And what's interesting to me is I think we have a shared love of college football in general. And just to put something in perspective, Jim talked to us on the last Redcast about going to a Minnesota spring football practice with P.J. Fleck. And he went there with you and Big Kurt. Yep. And so you have an Illinois fan, an Iowa fan, a Nebraska fan going to a Minnesota football practice. I mean, that is... That's a thing of beauty. On the Redcast, we have talked for years about if we could go to football games that had nothing to do with Nebraska, what games would we go to? You know, just the love of the game. You know, I'd want to go to Army-Navy or I'd want to see OU-Texas play in the shootout, right? You know, that's what I think is so much fun about doing this and talking with other people that are think likewise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I don't think we're ever going to be hand-in-hand screaming, Big Ten, Big Ten, <laughs> like the SEC, because that's weird. Um, and the funny thing is, is Jim is a friend of our podcast and your podcast. Jim's not so much a, a friend of Gopher fans, <laughs> ironically, <laughs> which is I get a kick out of. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's we'll get into the uh, the Big Ten and Nebraska stuff. Uh, I actually got a note here that'll kind of fit in with with all this, but that should be a fun part of the podcast. What we'll get in, into a little bit. All right. Well, you know what? Let's start off where Jim and I kind of left off. Most of the discussion was centered around uh, Nebraska's joining of the Big Ten when Osborne made the the announcement that we were going to be joining in 2011. That was going to be the first year. So we had that last run through the Big 12, made it to the Big 12 title game, lost to Oklahoma there. I was at both of the Big 12 title games in Dallas to watch the Texas game where Sue's throwing Colt McCoy around and then the next, week, next year with Oklahoma. So that was a tough way to finish up the conference. But as we start to join the Big Ten, Uh, I think a question that came out from Jim, and I think some of this might have been talking with you, Jeffrey, was, you know, did Nebraska as a program, did Nebraska fans as a fan base, did they respect the Big Ten coming into it? Was the Big Ten overrated? Was it not overrated? Let's start the conversation. Where was the Big Ten at in 2011? And from your perspective, what was Nebraska's take on, you know, joining it? Okay, so this would have been exactly 2010. This was before I was married, kids, any of that stuff. So long story short, I had freedom to go to a bar and just, you know, sit and have a couple of brewskis. And I was with my buddy, 
Patrick, and I, re- I remember what bar we were sitting at, and I know it was after the 2009 season, because I remember sitting talking to, to Patrick about the upcoming season, it was like that summer, and we knew that Nebraska was joining at that point, mm-hmm. and we were probably talking a little smack, you know, uh, about Nebraska coming in to the Big Ten. Lo and behold, there was a Nebraska fan sitting right next to us. We didn't. We had no idea. I don't think he even had like a Nebraska hat on or shirt on or whatever. And he turned around, and you know he was kind of eavesdropping. And the next thing you know, the three of us are in a heated discussion. <laughs> uh, basically, he was saying how the Big Ten wasn't crap, and they were going to come in and wipe up the Big Ten. And my Patrick and I are like. No, I don't think that's going to happen. And I remember specifically talking about, I said, Iowa would have beat Nebraska last year. And, like, I remember I said that to him. And he, like, laughed like I had just told him the sun just exploded or something. I don't know. And I remember referencing the fact that and it's, it's, it's odd. It doesn't typically happen. But Nebraska got beat by Iowa State that year in 2009. Oh, yeah, I and remember that well. And Iowa beat Nebraska, or Iowa beat Iowa State like 35 to 3 or something like that that year. And I remember referencing that to him. And it actually took me a couple minutes into our, us arguing back and forth before I remembered that. I was like, wait a second, you lost to Iowa State. I, I bring that conversation up to set the table of like, if you ask the question where I thought, and I think some other Big Ten fans thought, Nebraska fans' psyche was coming into the Big Ten. That's my take. That's where I think most Nebraska fans thought things were coming in. Do you think that's fair, or am I using putting too much weight into one conversation with one person? Well, I think that one person, I won't say speaks for all of Husker Nation. I would say from my perspective, I think there's two parts to the discussion. And one of them is where NU was at that time in place and trying to not revise history. Where were we at in 2010, 2011? And also, I think, where the Big Ten was as a whole. And those are two separate conversations. Uh, We won the north of the Big 12 to play the south team. Uh, In Texas's case, they went on to play for the national championship after playing us. And Oklahoma's Oklahoma. I mean, they're always up there, right? And in both cases, we lost to them extremely close. Last second, you know, field goal with the Bo Pelini and the the Texas game. So I think as a Nebraska fan, what I looked at is I thought we were on the up and up from the Callahan era. That's where I thought we were. Sure. And I had a, I had a respect for the change in the conference, the style of play change that we need to be prepared for. And I'll always say, I think, you know, Bo can get a lot of credit for being a defensive genius, but I would say he might be a roster management novice because I don't think he used the two to three years buildup time by the time we played Wisconsin in year two in the big 10 championship. It'd been two and a half years since we'd made the announcement and, he hadn't done the, the work in the recruiting to build up our front seven to adapt from running a peso defense where you had one linebacker on the field in the Big 12 to what is required. And we were literally starting a defensive end, Cameron Meredith, at D-tackle in that championship game because we didn't have the depth. That's aside from how good Nebraska was or how good Big 10 was. That's just us not, it's just the facts. That's just yeah. us not preparing, right? Now, yeah, I mean, the Big 10 question, that's a little more interesting to me too is, where was the Big Ten at that point? I made that discussion with Jim about how I think the Big Ten has steadily improved, but where they were at in 2011, 
to where they at where they are at now, I think is a different world. Nebraska started off strong actually in the Big Ten. Started off three and one against Iowa. You know, made it to the Big Ten title game in year two. But as you've seen through our own dysfunction and some of our own changes and the improvement of the conference, Urban Meyer is a big role in that. I think where they are at now is a different conference than where they were at in 2011. Yeah, so, okay, lots to unpack there. I'm, I, 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 I can't speak for all Big Ten fans, obviously. Uh, but my guess is some Big Ten fans heard what you just said right there and are, they're kind of rolling their eyes sure. a little bit. And I, I'm going to talk out of two sides of my mouth here a little bit because I will agree that when Urban came in, there was a, you know, high tide raises all boats type of thing. So I don't disagree with that. What I would point out is that every conference goes through ebbs and flows. What Big Ten fans get a feeling of when we hear Nebraska fans talk like this is that the Big Ten was down for 20 years and it suddenly got good as soon as Nebraska joined. Sure. I don't believe, I don't believe that's accurate at all. Um, the Big Ten was really good in the late 90s, early 2000s. I think it got pretty darn good at towards the end of the 2000s. For whatever reason, probably the lowest time for the Big Ten was right when Nebraska joined. But my whole point is, you know, it's like following a stock. It doesn't go in a straight line up or down. It, it, it juts up and down. The Big Ten is like that. It timed out that when Nebraska came in, it, it was a little down. But... We've seen that before. Again, not just out of the Big Ten, out of every conference. Another thing that I'd like to point out, like when you're talking about Bo, when I listened to your podcast, which was really good, with Stephen Simple, and he talked to Bo Pelini about joining the Big Ten. And I thought it was really interesting when he said, you know, Nebraska fans were excited, Bo Pelini was not, because he knew basically his roster wasn't ready to go into the Big Ten. So... What I would point out is Bo Pelini knew enough about, you know, he grew up in Big Ten country. He knew the conference. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a coach. They all kind of run in the same circles. Like, he knew what Nebraska was up against when they joined the Big Ten. And those were the same points that my buddy and I were trying to use with the Nebraska fan in the bar that sure. day. Like, it's a tough conference to get through. Like it is a physical conference. Simple. As simple said, it, he called it a bitch. And it. And I, what I will say is, I think it's more. Been, and I just want to. I just want to say, honey, that's been true for forty years. Like that sure. has never changed. I'll tell you a little bit where I come from. I guess from my perspective of the Big Ten, you know, for a little history lesson for the Redcasters that aren't aware, between ninety four and two thousand two, eight teams had either an outright or a shared title in the conference. And I think you can look at that a couple of different ways. You can look at that as there's great parity across the board. You know, it's a very even conference. You could look at it that maybe there isn't a very high end where one team is consistently winning the way that Clemson does it in the ACC right now or Oklahoma does. You can look at it that way. I mean, Northwestern was one of those co-champs in 2000, and Nebraska played them in the Alamo Bowl and beat them 66-17. to So, And that was a co-champ. So maybe from some Nebraska fans, some of their history – you know, we played Saban in his first two years at Michigan State during that time. Not a fair description of Saban, but that's what Nebraska fans knew of the Big Ten. We played Iowa the first two years of Ferentz. As Nebraska knows with the first two years of Frost, that's not always a fair description of what the program is going to be like long term, but that might be somewhat what's in the Nebraska people's memories. When I was talking with Jim in Minnesota, you go to 2005, and he talks about 
that USC Texas game. That's the national title game, and Dan Fouts making the comment, and it was about the narrative of that these Big Ten officials have not seen speed like this. Fair or not, I usually think somewhere the truth is somewhere in between, but that's a comment that he's making there. And you build all that up, and if you're not sitting there studying the conference day in and day out, are there some fans that don't give it the respect? Maybe. So, good points here, and I'm going to shoot some holes in a couple things, I think. Um, One thing is, now that you're in the Big Ten, if you hear comments like that from a Dan Fouts-like person, welcome to the club, because you're going to be rolling your eyes, just like we have for the last 25, 30 years. Now, here's the deal. You're comparing, like, using the Nebraska, you know, destroying Northwestern in the bowl game, as an example. Okay. You're looking at that not from a Big 12 or Big 10 point of view. You're looking at that from a Nebraska point of view. Nebraska then, right? The 90s, early 2000s, even a little bit. Nebraska then is what Clemson is now. Accurate? Correct. I mean, for about a, yeah, for about a five-year stretch, they're right. sixty and three. I mean, that's that part's untouched. Okay, okay so it, which is probably almost exactly what Clemson's record is right now in the last five years. Correct. So you can't compare the whole Big Ten to when just Nebraska laid waste to people because Nebraska was laid waste to everybody. But in two thousand in, in that year, they not all their blowouts were versus Big Ten teams. They were obviously blowing the hell out of. You know, a bunch of big eight, big twelve teams. Well, to be as fair, well. to be fair, Jeffrey, to that, I'm trying to, I'm well, trying to compliment. Well, Nebraska what, I, there, like, what I'm getting at is that that 2000 team by Nebraska standards wasn't even one of our better ones. But let's not talk about the Nebraska point of view. I'll talk about the national point of view. You fast forward from 2005, you go to 2006, and that's the season of the Big Ten. That is Ohio State and Michigan playing to the crescendo great game. They're 11 and 0 each, and Ohio State wins the number one versus number two contest. 42 to 39, because that's what Ohio State does. They just beat Michigan every time. And what happens afterwards? You know, Michigan goes to the Rose Bowl. They were essentially down 32 to 11 with about a minute left, lose to USC. Ohio State turns around, loses 41 to 14 or something like that to who else but Urban Meyer. We might hear about him later. You know, that those are opportunities. Not that, That's not Nebraskan talking. That's a national point of view saying that that it's, it's a reflection of the conference. Now, look, I don't think it's a fair assessment of what Fouts said about, you know, these refs haven't seen the speed. I don't think that's right. I mean, dude, you played in the damn conference. I think you know if there's some speed or not. And I think that's just being snarky on my part if I sat here and tried to say, oh, yeah, you know, Big Ten was a bunch of slow dudes. I mean, Nebraska got all that garbage, too, back in the 80s and 90s. We're just three yards in a cloud of dust. No speed. And that's, that's disingenuous. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, I think you already hit on it. To be honest with you, because um, when I hear the well, they didn't win the championship argument, right? Like that's why it shows that the Big Ten wasn't good. Okay, so by that rationale, you're telling me that the two national championships that Clemson won represents fantastically on the ACC. Do you think that's even no, remotely not, accurate? You're right. Okay. You're you're 100 correct there, so and I, and I don't think it rash- does reflect. So by that rationale, there's two different. I mean. It depends on what your definition of is is, and there are two different there are two different ways to have a good conference, in my opinion. Yeah. You can have a conference that is top heavy, which is what I believe certainly the ACC is. I think you could make a point that the, the SEC is, and I during the USC's run, I think you could make oh. a point that the the Pac twelve that the Big Twelve right now. 
I mean, it's Oklahoma and everyone else. Right now. Yep. So that, that is one way of saying a conference is good. The other way of saying a conference is good is that teams, maybe two, but probably three through nine will ding you if you're not ready to go. That has been the Big Ten to me my entire life. Mm-hmm. And let me be very clear from my perspective here, too. I don't want it coming across from me that the, I think the Big Ten wasn't good. I don't think that's the right word that I want to use when I'm referencing 1995 through, as I'm kind of saying, the 2005-2010 era. I don't want to say it wasn't good. That's not right. Was it great? Was it slow? I don't know. Again, I think somewhere the truth is in between. What I do believe is that since 2011, since Nebraska has joined, since the BTN money has started to come in and allowed schools like Purdue to keep Brom around and allowed schools like Minnesota to go and get Fleck and keep them, even when big schools are going to come and try to grab your coaches, I think all that has led, and led by Urban Meyer too and what he did at Ohio State, I think it's led to the Big Ten being better today than it was in, in 2011. And maybe some of that, to your point, you said that the Big Ten was going through a downward slide anyways around then. That can be very true. I think the lull was, it was only a couple years, but just like most things, it just gets blown up. I think it was 2012, now I'm trying to think of what, or 2014 maybe, I can't remember, but there was one year where the Big Ten went 1-8 in in bowl games, and I I remember that because Iowa was the only team that won, they destroyed South Carolina. That was down, that was a down time at that point, and I don't, I should know, but I don't know the exact year it was, but Right around then was when the Big Ten was struggling. Now, I don't dislike Urban Meyer like many people do. He just doesn't bug me that much, I guess. So I give Urban credit, but I think more credit is put on the Big Ten Network, dude. I mean, the money that came in, that was what definitely helped the conference out as much or more than, than anything. Well, I think it's changed everything. It's And you look at the facilities, Northwestern can have a $200 million facility on Lake Michigan now, right? I also think, you know, again, if I go back to like 94 to 2002, eight teams shared some type of championship there. And since 05 to now, it's only been four. Cut that in half. There is more top-heavy champions now. Ohio State's won nine titles or had some share of nine titles since 05. And that's reflected in the fact that when it comes to the, the playoff, right now with the exception of the one year of Michigan State making the playoff, and unfortunately they didn't show us very proud, but outside of that Michigan State year, it's you're either Ohio State getting in there or you're not getting in right now from the Big Ten. And that part... I would maybe say Penn State got shafted one year. By Ohio Penn, State, right? Well, I mean, by the committee to a certain degree, I think. <laughs> um, I think if Penn State was exactly what they were, but it said LSU across the front of their jersey, that oh. the, they would have got in. I mean, I think Penn State was really good. You, you, will, you will not get any argument from me at yeah. all on that. And yeah. I mean, we've talked off here about that. I mean, the SEC... I mean, you can go back and look at the very first, in 2014, the very first college football playoff poll that came out in October, and three of the four teams are from the SEC West, and they include like Mississippi State. I mean, give me a break. I know. I know. Give me a break. So, yeah, I mean, I, like, there's no denying what Ohio State's been doing. I mean, they haven't just been the dominant team in the Big Ten. They've been a dominant team across the board. Um, I'd like to point out, you know, until extremely recently, well, there was a dominant team in the SEC, too. Bama was running through yep. the SEC for yep. years, but amazingly, that doesn't uh, get used negatively 
against the SEC, like it somehow always gets negatively used against the Big Ten with with Ohio State. So right now we are in a unique part of college football history. Again, everything, Digest Conferences has ebbs and flows. Right now, it's a superpower thing. I mean, every year, I, you know, it's like come, you know, the summer, you start seeing, okay, you know, on Twitter, who's your prediction for college football playoffs? Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, pick another team. I mean, it's the same thing sure. every year, and it's probably going to be Oklahoma again, you sure. know. Um, we've never seen this. So it's not just a Big Ten thing right now. It's been across the board. Like, the the richest have gotten even richer. I mean, look at Ohio State's class that they're putting together for 2021. I mean, it's historically incredible. I don't have an answer for it. I just know that that's what's happening right now. Yeah, and fair or not, nationally, people look to the big names, the blue bloods of a conference, and if they are doing well or if they're struggling, that has this reflection on the conference. Look at the Big Ten West right now, and look at what just happened last year. To have three teams finish in the top 15. I mean, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, that's out. That's outstanding. But Nebraska, you have this name, this national brand name. There's a reason Jim Delaney went after us, but we haven't been Nebraska. And I don't want to give all the credit to Big Ten for that, because I think we would have struggled if we were in the whack with some of the dysfunction that we've had the last seven, eight years. But when Nebraska isn't being Nebraska, and we haven't been, basically the last decade, that hurts the brand too. And this goes back to the brand. It goes back to my comment about 2006. Whether it's fair or not, when Nebraska's not doing its part, that doesn't help Iowa. It doesn't help Wisconsin. It doesn't help Minnesota, who are out there doing their job and getting us these top 15 finishes. And when Nebraska gets back to being Nebraska, which I fully believe it's going to happen, that can be a discussion here in a bit. But when it does, that's going to benefit the overall prestige, if you want to call it that, of the conference. I don't disagree with that. Uh, truth be told, I don't want to see it because <laughs> <laughs> that means my team probably isn't, you know, winning any Big Ten West titles or Big Ten titles. Um, but I still don't think enough respect has been given to the Big Ten West. Uh, I agree. Wisconsin gave the Rose Bowl away. I know Wisconsin lost the Rose Bowl. I'm sorry, but they were better than Oregon. Yeah. I, I just they were better than Oregon. They they physically were beating them up most of the game. Auburn got worked by Minnesota. It yep. was a worse beatdown than what it showed. And I don't care how quote-unquote down USC is, when Iowa flies out west and dismantles a USC team in the Holiday Bowl, that's another th- Like All of those bowl games were pretty good for the Big Ten West. And I don't think enough is said about that. You know, like, And it won't be said, because who's going to say it other than the BTN? And that's not going to... You know, you want that from the ESPNs or whatever to come from, but that, they're not going to say that. I mean, I think Fox is, is doing a lot better job. I mean, they obviously have, you know, a financial interest in the Big Ten and the Pac-12, so they're doing a pretty good job. But that's been fantastic to see. But, yeah, I mean, when you see these fanboy accounts on Twitter and stuff like that, and they start listing the divisions in college football, and, like, they put the AAC above the Big Ten West. I mean, I bruise the inside of my eye sockets. I roll my eyes so hard when I see that crap. Like, they have no idea. We've got good coaches in the Big Ten West. I mean, Paul Chris, Kirk Ferentz, T.J. Flack has obviously shown himself. I still think uh, Brom is is a stud. Pat Fitzgerald, Scott Frost, and Lovey got up to a bowl game last year. I mean, this is an amazing collection of coaches in the Big Ten West, and that makes... (laughs) 
go figure. Coaching makes a huge difference when it comes to the, the success of these teams and the conferences. Yeah. And I do agree. Like, and I've even said this amongst my, you know, Iowa buddies. If there is a time when Nebraska gets back up and they're very good, yes, it would raise the level of excitement and interest and respect that fans outside the Big Ten footprint would have for the whole division. I I definitely think that's the case. I think Wisconsin, you know, again, unfortunately, has done a pretty good job of that themselves. I mean, they still don't get as much national respect as they should, but they've gotten quite a bit. As much as anybody in the Big Ten West has, they've elevated themselves on the national stage, playing big-time non-conference opponents, having some success beating LSU a couple years ago in the in uh, Lambeau, you know, and winning, you know, beating Miami bad in a bowl game the other year, you know. So, I mean, they've they've had some of those big wins that carry weight that people seem to remember. But they're not blue blood. But they're not blue blood, right? And what does blue blood stature give you? Well, it gives you an opportunity to have ESPN game day come to your stadium like we had back in October. And what you yeah. choose to do with that is up to you. And in Nebraska's case, we got on a national stage and it didn't show very well. And so we showed that we were – further away than I think Nebraska fans thought we might be at that time. Or right. or to go the other direction, to give the credit to that Ohio State team, I walked away from that game going, wow, we got destroyed, but that Ohio State team might be pretty good. Yeah, they were amazing. I mean, I would say Ohio State losing to Clemson was one of the most painful non-Iowa losses I've ever took in my like, yep. like I was, I was pulling hard for Ohio State. I had it coming from two directions there. I had it coming from the fact that I, I am a Big Ten supporter. I wanted the Big Ten to do well there, and also from a historical standpoint, Nebraska having our dynasty in the '90s, and we hold tight to all that. And if Clemson wins another undefeated season this year, then sure. they creep into that you know all time category with Nebraska, and we can't have that. So I need Ohio State to win that game. And I'm right there with you. When it didn't happen, it was kind of a heartbreaking end of that game anyways. But when it didn't happen, it was just like, oh, you know, another year of, thank God we get another year of, you know, Clemson versus SEC. But at least it was a little different with Burrow and LSU. At least that made it a little more fun. I'm with you there. Well, that was a great Big Ten talk. And and I think we could continue this on on another show. But let's transition away from the Big Ten. And, you know, as you look through the lens of a Hawkeye fan, as you're talking about Big Ten and college football in, in general, tell me a little bit more about how did you become an Iowa fan? What's your history with that? And uh, kind of go from there. So, yeah, my history is both unique and probably very much the same uh, as a lot of Iowa fans. Uh, and first of all, precursor, I don't speak. For all Iowa fans, I've never been given a plaque that says, you know, so any Iowa fans listen to this, I don't expect you to agree with everything I say, but, um, so I've got, I've got two older brothers and I look up to both my older brothers, um, to this day, uh, but you look up to your older brothers even more when you're a little kid, you know, Mm -hmm. and it happened to be when I was 10 years old, my oldest brother played for Iowa. (laughs) So when you see your older brother walk out of the tunnel at Kinnick Stadium with his Hawkeye uniform on, you're pretty much hooked. You're going to be a Hawkeye fan (laughs) the rest of your life. My older brother started the 1990 Rose Bowl versus Washington, so I was not only at the Rose Bowl, I got to watch my brother play in the Rose Bowl. More lasting impressions. Uh, So yeah, that that pretty much, you know, burned it in for me. Um, And then uh, my my middle brother played college football as well. 
And then I was lucky enough to get a scholarship to Iowa, a couple other schools. I, I picked Iowa. So, you know, that's the uniqueness side of it. It was obviously both my older brother and I played for Iowa. You were recruited by legendary coach Hayden Fry and then played through the transition to also be under Coach Ferentz, correct? Correct. Not exactly the best time well, to be in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know a little bit about that here in Nebraska right now, right? I mean, transitions right. are hard. And I guess maybe to that point, speak for just a second about maybe what the Nebraska players the last two or three years that went through a transition like that, what what is that like to go through a coaching change and how did the team deal with that? You know, it's hard in relative terms, right? You're still getting to play the sport you love. Uh, for a lot of us, you know, we got our school paid for. So, you know, I'm just saying relative terms, Mm -hmm. hard. Everything's different at the blink of an eye. I mean, that's just how it was. For for us, I would say the biggest differences right away was strength, strength and conditioning. You know, Hayden Fry's legendary. appreciate you saying that. I think Chris Doyle, our strength and conditioning coach, he's, he's pretty legendary himself. Absolutely. And so, so when he came in, and it's not like we weren't lifting and running under Coach Fry. Obviously, we were, but everything was different at that point. That's the first thing there. And then, obviously... There's going to be changes in getting to know your coach, the schemes, all the things you expect when a new coach comes in. It's all present there. And coincidentally, who's the first team we played? The first time <laughs> we took a field was was Nebraska, and obviously Nebraska was a was a well oiled machine at that point. So that's how it goes. You know, you take your lumps and you get better. Coach Ferentz is just a great dude. I don't know how else to say it. Like. You always believed in him. There's always a little animosity between you and your position coach. That's a thing. You know, it's no different than you're not always going to love everything your manager says at mm-hmm. work. You know, same thing there. But I don't remember any real wavering of confidence and thought process with Coach Ferentz with the team. But with that being said, some of the decisions that he made when he first got there was to get rid of people that maybe weren't on board. You know, mm-hmm. and there's tough decisions like that that have to be made, and that's all part of the process, you know, to get mm-hmm. things up and running. Those first couple seasons under Coach Ferentz, I mean, they were rough seasons. And again, I'm saying this not in a snarky way. I'm saying this as a fan of a team that just went four and eight and five and seven the first two years under Frost. But I think Coach Frost had to make some of the same decisions in those years one and two that maybe Coach Ferentz was making then when you guys went, well, you won one and won three in the first two years. Again, that's part of a transition. That's the hard part of transitions. Nebraska's gotten to know transitions way too well now over the 20 years since Coach Ferentz came to Iowa. Iowa has built some continuity now. Chris Doyle's been there all those seasons with him. You have some consistency. That's honestly a lot of what the the Vanny Osborne era was to Nebraska. We're going to have the same staffs. We're going to build upon itself. And I give Iowa some credit here. I'm going to do an abbreviated Iowa football history. I'm a bit of a college football historian guy myself. We did a Husker history show about a month ago with Mike Babcock, and I love doing this stuff. And I think you learn a lot about a program when you kind of see it from a bigger lens than just a couple of years. Iowa's history isn't that far removed from Nebraska's in the sense that, you know, you go back to the 1910s and the 20s, there was some success in that early Western Conference, the predecessor of what is the Big Ten now. And then you'd have a couple of bad decades, the 30s and 40s. Although in the 30s, Niall Kinnick, kid from Adele, Iowa, graduated from Omaha, wins the Heisman. Obviously, the the stadium is named after him, uh, World War II hero. You know, the first ever Heisman 
came out of the University of Chicago, which was a Big Ten school, a Western Conference school. Jay Burwanger from Dubuque, Iowa, of all things. But we get through the 50s and the 60s and 70s. We've had some, some rough times. And in 79, that's when Coach Fry comes to Iowa from Texas. And he starts to change the whole mindset there. Okay, so first off, that's some impressive Big Ten knowledge hockey. I'm, I, I'm very impressed. So nice nice work to you. Um, yeah, I, Iowa actually had really good years. I mean, this is obviously way before my time, but they were really good in the 40s and 50s. I think it was more in the 50s, actually. Yeah, the late 50s. In 1960s, yep. the forgotten season, they finished number yeah. two, losing yeah. to Minnesota, and they don't get to play in the Rose Bowl because of some rules and how it was all set up. But they, they finished the year number two nationally. Yep. There is a, a recognized national championship in there during mm-hmm. the 50s, but I digress. Uh, <laughs> but they were really good at that point. And yeah, and then the 60s and 70s happened, <laughs> man. I mean, it was, it was just short of, you know, wiping a football program off the map. That's how bad Iowa was in the 60s and 70s. Well, and, and Jeffrey, you mentioned that, how, you know, there were some rough decades there. And this is where I want to bring the similarities back to Nebraska. When I was doing the Husker History 101 show, the 1940s and 50s for Nebraska were not good. Lots of losing seasons. And I asked the question to Mike Babcock, what was the state of Nebraska like in 1962 when an outsider, a Michigander, Bob Devaney, comes to Nebraska? What is he stepping into in 1962? And I guess maybe my question to you is, what in 1979, what is Hayden Fry, a Texan, stepping into as he comes into Iowa and really starts to change a culture? And what did you know, Coach Fry due to the program to inject the the life into Iowa that, you know, since 79, they've had two coaches. Two. Yeah. Um, first thing I want to make sure is known is I have no recollection of Coach Fry coming because I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> and you're um, not a historian of Iowa football? Well, Come on, I mean, buddy. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a historian, but, um, yeah, I mean, I was in diapers when Coach Fry <laughs> came over. Um, but, I you know, certainly I hear stories from other people that's been documented. Um, what – Coach Fry was getting recruited essentially by Bump Elliott, the athletic director at Iowa at mm-hmm. the time. He went to a game with Bill Brazier, who wound up being his, who was his defensive coordinator at the time and was the defensive coordinator for years at Iowa. And Iowa got a first down, right? A first down. And the crowd erupted. And Coach Fry is always quipped and said, well, Harold, how hard are they going to cheer when they finally win a game? You know? <laughs> and so... That was, you know, the basis. And when Coach Fry came in, he was a hard ass. I mean, he was a Marine. He brought in a swagger that 1,000% the, not only the University of Iowa and the football program needed, the whole state needed it because farming was in such rough shape in the 80s. And that is part of the reason why Coach Fry is so revered mm-hmm. in the state of Iowa because it wasn't just the football program. It was all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And... Then you you bring in the talent because he had, you know, ties to the Texas, you know, recruiting area. So a lot of we, we, Iowa just recruited great on the East Coast and Texas and obviously in state as well. And it all just blended in perfect. I mean, at that time, it was kind of the big two, little eight, you know, version of the Big Ten, because at that point, the Big Ten was top heavy, like we talked about before some other conferences and and Iowa was one of those first programs that really said you know we can win some games here too that whole history swept up the whole state and in order to really seize the moment you have to have a big moment and that moment was 1985 
number one versus number two. Number one, Iowa versus number two, Chuck Long. Michigan. Yep, Chuck Long, uh, who was my position coach at Iowa, actually. <laughs> and uh, we won the game. You know, Rob Houtland, last second field goal. I mean, it's kind of storybook type of stuff. So at that point, that's Iowa football became the history, the lifeblood of tons of people in the state. Again, I see similarities, believe it or not. Bob Devaney got a cheer after his first incompletion. The, the crowd roared because we threw the ball. So apparently we had been a quite the running team for the 20 years prior to that. But that, that's interesting. And I think what you start to see is a, a culture start to change. And it's led by Coach Fry. I mentioned on the, the show with Jim in Minnesota, I talked about some of the traditions, and one of them being the wave, which I think that's amazing. But another tradition Hayden Fry brought is the pink locker room the psychological advantage or perceived one that it would have. And I know that, I guess, was it that Michigan game that, you know, Schembechler came over and was like, you know, was talking about the pink locker room and he knew he was already in his head with it? Yeah, that's that's one of those legendary stories. I mean, with Coach Fry, you assume they actually happened, but you never really know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, all of those stories, you know, come together. The uh, the pink locker room, changing the logo on the helmets, mm-hmm. uh the swarm, which I've seen get made fun of by a certain fan base, because what is this swarm thing? You're Hawkeyes, like you're not Bumblebees. Well, the history of that is Coach Fry wanted to promote team unity, so he made players hold their hands walking out of the locker room to show that they were going to battle, so to speak, together. And a local newspaper writer said, with the black and gold uniform, it looked like a swarm of bumblebees so it just kind of you know it's kind of stuck over the years and we've called it the swarm well and when you talk about like a fan but like seriously is it like husker fans or they have they made fun of guys holding hands coming out of a locker room because that's (laughs) my goodness i've seen that a thousand times with nebraska teams yeah no but it's not that they're holding hands it's that why do you call it the swarm Uh, i guess is is what it's from and it's not just nebraska fans i've seen it from you know nebraska fans (laughs) like you said you don't speak for all iowa fans and i can't begin to say I speak for all of Husker Nation, but if you're making fun of, whatever, I don't care. Whatever, I'm going to move on. Now, that said, another thing I want to talk about with Hayden Fry is that coaching tree. And I think it's a legendary coaching tree. I mean, by my accounts, three of them, and I I don't know if there's more, but three of those assistants have gone on to have statues built of them. Barry Alvarez at Wisconsin, Bob Stoops at Oklahoma, Bill Snyder at Kansas State. There's others. There's Dan McCarney. There's Kirk Ferentz, obviously. Bo Pelini got his first GA gig there. I mean, there was something in the water in that coaching staff in the ability of, of Coach Fry to identify coaches and help develop them to the point where they would take off and, and lead their own programs. Yeah, it was, ins- it was insane with Coach Fry. Um, I mean, he, I really do think he was quite the CEO at the time. I mean, it's kind of, you know, cachet to say that now, but he coached his coaches hard. I mean, he screamed at them, and, but he let them do their thing. Um, and I, guys did not want to let him down you know I don't I can't begin to tell you exactly what that's about I, I certainly didn't coach under coach Fry, but that that was the thing they they didn't want to let coach Fry down they worked their butts off for him and then there, there was success because of that um, like me and you you know talk we were I think we were it was kind of Twitter uh, back and forth a little bit there was a ESPN uh, there was an ESPN poll of the greatest coaches of all time mm-hmm. and I think Snyder was in the mid 50s I mean I call BS on that wow. immediately like I know he didn't win a national title at Kansas State but what that guy did at Kansas State 
that has never been done before and will never be done since. I mean, that guy was an incredible coach. Mac and I have gone to the coaches clinics, the spring coaches clinics at Nebraska since Solich. And every year they always bring in somebody to be the, the keynote speaker. It was the first coaches clinic under Frost. They brought in Snyder and he talked about what the conditions were like when he got to Manhattan uh, what the situation was like. I mean, Kansas State had a brutal history. And I think I posted on Twitter, you know, they went from winning like 20 games in the 80s to basically almost 90 in the 90s. Insane, you know, difference. And Barry Switzer pretty much said that it was the greatest recruiting job he's seen since Jesus Christ. Um, it is. <laughs> yeah. Long story short, like sports writers are sports writers, but coaches are coaches. Coaches know how hard it is to win at places like Kansas State. And that's why I think you always hear coaches so revere Snyder because of what he did there. And uh, Alvarez pretty much did the same thing Mm -hmm. at Wisconsin. And he's got Nebraska ties, too. He's got Notre Dame ties as well, you know. So Coach Ferentz obviously has done a great job at Iowa. Coach McCarty did a really, really good job at Iowa State. I still think. You know, I know they're, they're, the current fan base thinks their current coach walks on water. He still <laughs> hasn't got up to McCartney's level to me. Uh, like, there just was some really amazing. That 2002 and, team with Seneca Wallace, I believe, that Seneca, was an, yeah. they should have beat Florida State in that kickoff classic game. That was an amazing team. Yep, McCartney knew how to recruit, man. He was, he was an excitable, excitable guy. He was an amazing recruiter. Um, he did a really good job. He actually recruited my brother. And uh, my brother was on his way to Arizona State. Ba- basically, got one look at the uh, talent, shall we say, on the campus, and he almost <laughs> went there. But um, <laughs> Coach uh, Coach McCartney brought it back. Well, about this time, you know, half the Redcasters. I hope you guys are just loving every second of this, <laughs> and the other half are probably like, "What in the world are you giving me an Iowa history?" And yeah. and honky, you know yeah. better than this. And and, right. and they're terrible people, and they're awful, and we hate Iowa. And stop it, right? But I think this is. It's an important discussion to have before we start to get into the next one, which I think is what a lot of people really want to hear. And I think they, honestly, Jeffrey, they want to hear you and me go at it toe-to-toe punching about, you know, how much better our program is than the other one. Um, Is Nebraska-Iowa a rivalry? We hear so much. Some people, they'll swear it is, and others say not at all. What's your take on Nebraska-Iowa? It's a rivalry. Is a rivalry to me. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a historic rival? Of course not. Of course it's not a historical rivalry, but there's absolutely no doubt that the fan bases dislike each other and can't stand losing to the other team. So to me, mm-hmm. that is not all the recipe it takes to make a rivalry, but it's enough to call it a rivalry. And I feel like there was more Nebraska fans saying it wasn't a rivalry for the longest time because they didn't want to quote unquote come down to Iowa's level and call it a rivalry. But what I would always point out is, I mean, you, I, Nebraska had rivalries with Missouri and Colorado and even to a certain degree, Kansas state during those times, those schools weren't quote unquote up to Nebraska's level, but it was still a rivalry at, for against those teams. Would you agree? Well, actually those same people, and I don't want to revise history. I was probably one of those people 10 years ago saying this. Um, but I have some Iowa friends, and I've talked with a lot over the last 10 years, and, and I think I've come around a little bit on this. But I was very much on the side of Nebraska-Oklahoma. I mean, those are two programs of you know such high prestige. And, oh, Missouri beats us once or twice, and now they're our rival. Or 
K-State beats us once or twice. Well, the reality is they were our rivals all along. Kansas was our rival because we played them 100 straight times. 100% agree with you on the Nebraska fan base side of it. What I've heard a little bit, I've seen a few things, and maybe it's snarky stuff from Hawkeye fans are like, it's not a rival. You know, we beat you guys five straight times. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, look, yeah. if, if winning has anything to do with a rivalry, the Michigan-Ohio State isn't doing very well. Um, it's yeah. not about the wins. It, of course it's a rivalry. It's a stupid question, and I can say that since I asked it. And you can tell it's an even bigger rivalry than people want to give it a credit for because, boy, we sure get real snarky about it, and we get snippy, and Twitter is – Iowa gets under Nebraska's skin more than I think any other program, even though – they're not necessarily doing things different to us than, say, Wisconsin's doing. I mean, you guys have had equal success against us. Yeah, Wisconsin fans are just, I don't know, they're not very active yeah. on Twitter and just in general. like Because they're, 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 they're Packer fans. They really are. I mean, mm-hmm. they're Packer fans. Not, not to say there's not you know diehard Wisconsin fans there are, but, you know, if, if the Badgers lose on Saturday but the Packers win on Sunday, it's still a good weekend, you know, as long, yeah. as, long as I had <laughs> – you know, four sausages and a good <laughs> fondue dippers, you know. So, like, that's how Wisconsin fans are. Iowa and Nebraska, I mean, our, our college football teams definitely are number one for us. So there's, you know, some similarities there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and definitely that's that's a part of why we get underneath each other's skin with that stuff. And I would say there is credence to the fact that Nebraska and Iowa haven't been good at the same time Correct. yet. Nebraska was pretty darn good the first couple of years in the conference. I mean, obviously you got to the Big Ten Championship in the second year. I hear a lot about Nebraska fans saying, well, congrats, Iowa, you got wins over us when we've been historically as bad as we have been. No doubt Wisconsin is historically as bad as they've been, or at least in a long time. But I would also like to point out Iowa was in a bad downturn in 2011, 12 to a certain degree, 13 and 14, you mm-hmm. know, like those were the worst years, you know, to a certain degree of the, of the coach Ferentz years. So there's been kind of a little back and forth there with that. Like Nebraska got some wins when we were down. I always got some wins when Nebraska's down as much as I just want, you know, this is my team, right? I just want Iowa to be the best team in the West. If Iowa and Nebraska happen to be, the number one and number two teams in the West that flip-flop back and forth, it would be a blast. It would be a lot of fun. It would be a lot of fun. And you mentioned the downturn you guys had right as we were getting in here. In 2012, which would be, what, 13, 14 seasons into the Ference era, they go 4-8. and eight. And the reason I mention that is that this is a credit, again, Iowa has had two coaches since 1979, the stability. It would have been really easy to fire a coach at 4-8. and eight. Nebraska fired two nine-win coaches. And Coach Osborne, he talked about in the 1970s that he was almost fired after winning nine games one of the seasons. Bob Devaney, in 1968, after going 6-4, and four, had a petition out in Omaha to fire him and the staff, which had Tom Osborne on it. Thank God, sometimes the mob mentality of fire guys after losing games, it's thank God they don't always get their way. Because I'm sure there was pressure in 2012 in Iowa to get rid of him or certainly get rid of coaches or whatever it is. But you know what? I mean, look at what Iowa has done since 2012. That's part of sticking with some guys, too, and not just firing the staff and starting over every time. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Ironically, most Iowa fans knew 2012 was just, it was a lot of things. Injuries being a big part of it. I think when you really saw some some upset Iowa fans was actually after the 2014 
season. Uh, we gave away the Nebraska game. I, I, I know that's from my point of view, but I, I, or I should say the morning personnel took away the Nebraska <laughs> game. And hey, every time yeah. Nebraska has ever lost, it was taken away from us, just so yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, all fan bases are like that for the most part. Um, and then Iowa got blasted in the uh, whatever. The uh, It was the Tax Slayer Bowl, but they dubbed it the Hawk Slayer Bowl when we played Tennessee. <laughs> we were upset then. And yeah, I mean, Luckily, Coach Ferentz had enough tenure and deposits in the bank that he was given time to readjust and turn it around. And then 2015 happened, and things have been pretty darn good ever since then. So, yeah, I mean, there is obviously definitely something to say about the continuity and how it can hurt you the other way when there's too many changes. You know, along with the continuity with Coach Ferentz, it's like a good year. You know, 2002 and four. Iowa won our share of the Big Ten Championship. 0-2-0-3-0-4, all three of those years, they finished in the top ten. Probably the best team of the Ferentz era. It's debatable to me between 2002 and 2009, uh, which is the year they won the Orange Bowl. Um, and actually, that's probably as good a spot as any because to kind of broach into the next topic is – Jim in Minnesota, our mutual friend, when me and him got to know each other during that aforementioned gopher practice we went to, I had referenced in some capacity Iowa winning the 2009 Orange Bowl. And he paused and looked at me like I grew a second head right off like my left shoulder. And I don't think being well-versed in college football things is something that Jim struggles at. But somehow... He didn't know that. That was complete news to him. He missed on that one? Iowa, he, yeah, he had no idea that Iowa had won the Orange Bowl as recently as 2009. And, like, that's what blows my mind about Nebraska fans is they know every detail. Like, down to the third <laughs> string of the roster history, stuff like that. But he didn't know that. He didn't know Iowa was good that year. Friend of the Red Cast, Iowa Sean, next-door neighbor of Dave out there in Denver, that was a question he actually wanted me to ask you was, do you think that that Iowa team in 2009 plays for the national title if Ricky Stanzi doesn't go down against Northwestern? I am not. See, I'm a weirdo. I think most Iowa fans think the 2002 team was the best, and mm-hmm. they might be right. Um, I personally believe the 2009 team was the best of the Ferentz era. But yet, what have they played for the national championship? I'm not quite sure. I'm not mm-hmm. as sold on that, but I think they would have beaten Ohio State. They almost beat Ohio State with, you know, James Vandenberg literally throwing his first meaningful passes as a Hawkeye in the horseshoe. <laughs> and they still took Ohio State to overtime that year. I was good. They were really good. I want to talk a little bit about style. And you talked about this on one of your last Eyes on Big when you had Justin from the Husker podcast on. And we've done shows with them. They're a great show, Husker Pod. Yep. Listen to them. That 2002 team... What I'll always remember about that specifically was it felt like the amount of offensive skill talent that you had. And it started at that quarterback spot, Brad Banks, who had a different skill set than what I would say the traditional Iowa quarterback has had. And you still had the running backs. You had Russell and Lewis. You have Maurice Brown. You've got Dallas Clark and Kading. You're going to have a kicker that's going to go to the pros. You have linemen like Steinbeck and Nelson getting drafted in the second round. It's a very traditional style of Iowa football, tough nose and pounded out. But there were some real top-level skill players to boot, never mind the defense, Bob Sanders, and all that. What I have thought about Iowa over the years, and the same thing I feel about, about Wisconsin, when I see mobile quarterbacks or dual-threat quarterbacks, they scare the heck out of me. Sure. And when I see I Russell Wilson at Wisconsin and Brad Banks 
those guys bring a level. And, and I wonder why Iowa hasn't gone back to that approach. I've asked this to Iowa, Sean. I've asked this to my other friends that are Iowa friends. I'm like, why wouldn't you want to have that dual threat? My answer is, I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the general thought process is everybody's moving so far in that direction. That's our chance to stand out. And mm-hmm. I do think there's credence to that because the facts are the facts. We are never going to get the Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan talent at Iowa. I'm sorry. I'm just a realist. I just don't think that's ever going to happen. I think it can be improved upon. And I think the coaching staff's done a great job improving upon the talent the last four or five years. So I still think there's something to be said about if you stick to your principles of being a defensive-oriented program but can still get you offensively, you kind of stick out because most Mm -hmm. teams are based around spread you out, get athletes in space type of deal. If you face a spread type of team four weeks in a row and then in comes Wisconsin or Iowa, that's how we set ourselves apart. So I think there's thought process behind that. Mm -hmm. It's just my personal opinion that you could do everything we just said but add the running element of the quarterback on top of That's the thing. I think of like Andy Reid, and that dude's as West Coast as they come, straight from the Bill Walsh, Mike Holmgren tree. And yet he can adapt that offense to a Donovan McNabb, to a, a Michael Vick, to Patrick Mahomes, and bring that dual threat to that West Coast style. I just, I've always wondered that with like Iowa. I just figured you guys have beaten us five straight times. Wisconsin has beaten us five straight times. I've never thought it was the quarterback play that did it. I always thought it was you guys dominated us in the trenches. You don't make the mistakes. You beat us in special teams. In fact, Iowa and Wisconsin both returned kicks on us a year ago. You're going to run the ball really well. All those things, you know, great tight end play. And I don't mean to diminish the quarterbacks. I'm not saying you had bad quarterback play. That's not where I'm going with it. It's just, it's not dynamic quarterback play. And I feel like that's the one thing that honestly could set an Iowa or Wisconsin apart if they kept the ground and pound scheme and the mentality. Because I think you're on to something too with the Big Ten is doing something different right now than everyone else. And it's becoming even a bigger gap. When we went from the Big 12, we were coming from this spread attack, right? But look at what the SEC is starting to do. You saw it a year ago. Now you're seeing Kiffin and Leach coming in there. And Bo Pelini is going to be, his defenses are going to be perfect for the SEC. But as you go further down that line of play, the SEC... I think the Big Ten has a chance to set itself apart by being physical. I mean, look what Minnesota did to Auburn. I think the Big Ten, if you do it right, and this is where I think Iowa and Wisconsin can bring the best out of Nebraska. Nebraska is never going to compete with the Ohio States and all those schools if we can't beat Iowa and Wisconsin in the trenches. And if I'm Iowa and Wisconsin, can you just add one extra element to your style of play to to just get over that hump? Can you get over that hump? Hey, you brought me on this podcast so we could disagree and argue with each other, but I got I got nothing to disagree with you. I agree <laughs> I agree with everything you just said, especially how it, you know, plays into Iowa. Um there's been some more mobile quarterbacks on the roster from here and there and maybe we go in that direction someday. I don't know. But yeah, I, I agree. I agree with everything you're saying. And the fact of the matter is, you know, you just never have a defender in the box that can one hundred percent take the quarterback on unless you give up something else on mm-hmm. the field. It's, it's the whole point of obviously having a, a mobile quarterback. So I feel that way. I believe there's a lot of Iowa fans that feel that way. I think most Iowa fans, myself included, we don't want to see this move too far away from what we are because of the uniqueness and how mm-hmm. the quote-unquote advantage that gives us. But, yeah, little tweaks in that direction to a mobile quarterback. 
I'd like to see it. <laughs> well, you, you made the statement. You go, we're never going to recruit like Ohio State because you're a realist. And I'll tell you, there are more Husker realists out there today than, than optimists, as I have found. And I've heard that same statement. Nebraska is not going to recruit like Ohio State. And what I've told about every single person that tells me that is, who cares? I don't feel like Nebraska needs to recruit like Ohio State. And in fact, if you go back to the great years of Nebraska, and we like to talk about those as Husker fans, you go back to the 90s. I, I put a thing on Twitter the other day, the 1993 recruiting class, Tom Lemming back in the day, he basically said it wasn't a great one. It's not a top 10, top 15 class. They went on to go 60-3 and three over their five years. Iowa doesn't have to recruit like Ohio State then. Can Iowa recruit like Nebraska did then, which is get your local kids, secure the borders, build up a walk-on program, develop players, and then you need to get two or three special guys. That's that's what Nebraska was in the 90s. We weren't the most talented team. A lot of times Nebraska went on the field against Colorados and Miamis and all that. Yeah, I think that is the recipe, and I, I think that's what Iowa's been doing. Their recruiting has improved. I'm an oddity in that I love college football, but I don't follow recruiting as as staunchly as some people do. But they, I know enough to know they've, they've gotten quite a bit better just over the last five years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, the way to do it is to put a fence up around your state as much as possible. Contrary to some beliefs, Iowa's done very well in the state of Iowa. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, you got to go get a couple difference makers. We were lacking those difference makers on the outside during these the leaner years, the 2012 to 13, 14 years. I think we've done a better job of getting out there and getting those guys back on the roster. I don't think it's going to be much different if Nebraska is going to have success. I think they're going to mostly have to do that same thing. Wisconsin too, Minnesota as well. I mean, it's just that's the way it's probably going to have to be done for most of the teams in the Big Ten West. And as far as, like, who's doing it right now, I mean, obviously Wisconsin's doing it. They get their linemen in state. If you've ever traveled through and spent some time with Wisconsin people, there's never going to be any shortage of big, gigantic, white offensive linemen from Wisconsin. I can guarantee you that. Um, And then they go get their tailback from New Jersey. (laughs) It's what they do. (laughs) It's more the philosophy and the formula. And Nebraska's formula was always close down the borders. And I'll tell you, if you want to get under my skin, it's when I start seeing the Drew Otts not even get a sniff from Pelini. No Barely fan. even I mean, a sniff I, to be I a walk-on. Whenever Noah Fant scored a touchdown versus oh. Nebraska, it was like it was a knife wound and then salt rubbed into it at, at the time. Like I didn't even really get it that much at mm-hmm. the time, but I've come to understand it after the facts. You know, it's it's more than just Otten fan. It's it's Sean Prater back yeah. in the day. He was part of a class of seven You're uh, you're pulling out some some amazing uh Iowa names. Well there were uh, seven the past. I'm impressed. <laughs> there were seven power five players that came out the year of the Prater twins and Nebraska only got three of them. Nebraska yeah wasn't the first team to offer Ben Stilley, who's now a fifth-year DN for us, but Ben Stilley was offered by Iowa before he was offered by us. Until Riley got fired and until Frost got here, Ethan Piper from Norfolk only had one offer, and it was Iowa. Why is Iowa coming into Nebraska and identifying our players and offering our players before us? That's the stuff that has to go away, and it isn't just Iowa. Mike Riley would talk about the 500-mile radius, and yet he let... Bryson Williams, a defensive tackle from Lincoln Southeast, go to Wisconsin without even offering him. On the first day that Frost was hired here, he went straight from his press conference across town to go and offer Bryson Williams finally. It wasn't just taking care of the 500-mile radius. We need to take care of the 5-mile radius. 
I'm not worried about Frost moving forward. I'm not. I, he's got the right formula here. He's starting to shut down the border. He actually has had even a little success in Iowa, and there's a lot of good players there. And this is a particularly good year for Iowa. But we've yep. been able to go in, get Blaze Gunnerson, get Messiah Newsom. We've gone into Minnesota and get and got uh, Ben Hart, a big lineman. We got the polar bear out of South Dakota. These are Big Ten-style linemen. That's important. We need those players at Nebraska to compete with what Iowa and Wisconsin have been doing for years now. And then we need to go national and get the Adrian Martinez's and the Wandell Robinson's and all that. That's Nebraska's formula in a nutshell. That doesn't necessarily compete with Ohio State's top five class, but I don't think it needs to. We need to do what Nebraska does well. And to me, that's what Nebraska does well. Yeah, I mean, my thoughts on recruiting are shaped by two things. Uh, My time at Iowa and then an interview that I actually heard from Phil Parker like a year ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, my time at Iowa was I saw guys that weren't high recruits. And the second you saw them play, you're just like, that guy's got game. You just, Mm -hmm. you knew it. And then there were high four-star guys. I'm not going to bring up their names. I would be, you know, crass, but they would come in, they had big egos and you're like, I mean, he's pretty good, Mm -hmm. but he's not great. So to me, I just, I've always questioned exactly the stars. And then along those same lines, Phil Parker, an interview he did, I just thought it was amazing. He's like, you know, guys, and he was talking to the you know interviewers, he's like, we know a lot of you know time and money goes into ranking these players and the stars and everything. He's, he's like, we understand there are five-star guys. They just jump off the screen when you're watching them or if you get a chance to see them in person. We mm-hmm. knew A.J. Epinesa was amazing the second we saw him. We get it, you know? Mm-hmm. We have a hard time getting those guys. Obviously, with AJ Epinesa, you know his dad played at Iowa. I actually played with his dad, just to date myself some more. <laughs> and uh, um, so, like you know, but the next thing he said after that was, "But when we see a guy sometimes that's like a mid four star, and we compare him against a guy that's a mid or even lower three star, we can't tell the difference between these guys. We don't know why one guy's a." mid four star and another guy's a, a mid three star like mm. I, at that point you are using your eyeballs on what you need that player to do and how he fits into your system so that to me is what iowa has had continuity and so much success in is is that they know what they want and that's how they go get it and oh by the way if i can have that guy and he's got a little bit of a, more of a chip on his shoulder than the high four-star or mid-four-star guy, maybe in the end, that's a better player. And to transition this into Frost, okay, there's no doubt that he's going to put a fence up around Nebraska. I can't imagine if there's, on average, I'm making this up, but four Division One level guys in the state of Nebraska every year, over a five-year period, he's going to average three and a half of those guys on campus. That's my belief. You know, mm-hmm. like maybe if one guy's a huge enough dude that Ohio State comes in and gets whatever. But I have faith that he will get those guys. I don't have as much faith now in Scott Frost being able to develop them as I did a year or two ago. Um, the development of the players is something that we haven't seen yet out of Scott Frost in – Certainly the Big Ten. And, like, I, and again, like, referencing that simple interview, I think he kind of touched on it a little bit to a certain degree and basically said, you know, I don't think Scott Frost is ever going to admit it, but I think he has come to understand 
a little bit more than what he thought on what the Big Ten is all about mm-hmm. since he came in. That learning process, I don't know if it was in his mindset, and I can guarantee you it wasn't in Nebraska fans' mindset. You know, I think him and, and Nebraska fans thought once we got Scott Frost in play, he's gonna he's gonna wreck shop. Do you do you agree with that? I think with Frost, you know, he was coming in straight from UCF. He took a team from winless to undefeated. You know, he's coach of the year. Yeah, you're going to have some of those expectations that by year two were undefeated. Frost didn't squash any of those expectations. But, you know, that simple conversation we had, I think we even kind of corrected him a bit, and he agreed with us by the end of it that I don't know that that it was Frost underestimating the Big Ten. I think he underestimated how far Nebraska was away from playing that style of ball. And if you want to talk about development – I would specifically look at the Nebraska-Iowa series over the last five games. They're, we're 0-5. There's no arguing or debating that. But you look at how the games have played out, and you tell me as an Iowa fan if you're seeing a developed Nebraska. Because four years ago and three years ago, we have defensive coordinators talking about bloodbaths that Iowa must their practices must be. And we're getting the, the tar beat out of us, and we're also giving up. I mean, it was 14-14 to in the last game of Riley at halftime, and then the second half, you physically beat us up, and we look like we gave up. Year one of Frost, we're not there physically. I mean, he said it after the game. We He never wants to see a team so much bigger, faster, stronger than us, and yet we don't lose by 30. We lose by a walk-off field goal. And then last year, exact same results, walk-off field goal, but that game, I mean, I've watched it 20 times now. I've watched the lines. We still weren't there with Iowa in the lines, but it was a lot better than the year before where I would see two or three guys pancaked in one play. That's the improvement. And I, we try to preach that so much on the Redcast. We want the wins. Don't get me. I am, I'm dying for the wins, but I'm also acknowledging the progress that I'm seeing. I believe, this is my thoughts, okay? And I believe I'm talking for a lot of Big Ten fans here. I think Scott Frost grew up disdaining and looking down on the Big Ten, just like every Nebraska fan did. Why? Because he's a Nebraska dude. Obviously, he played there. I don't think he ever had a respect for the Big Ten back growing up in his formative years. I think that's carried over into his coaching years. I do believe he thought, this is just Wisconsin. We're going to get on top of Wisconsin and own this division once I get this thing up and running. That is my belief. Okay, like I, I, don't, have any pro- I don't have any proof other than that's what I've seen through the comments. I mean, you got the, you better get us now because once we get up and running, you know, we're going to be tough to beat. You've seen the rhetoric change, right? Just in the last year, I, I would say. I've seen it since like, the since the end of year two. Uh, we've heard more of preaching a little bit more patience. He said it on the BTN live show during the preseason practice with Donardo in the group. He said, you know, the expectations in Lincoln have been far too low for far too long. And that he's not lying. And that's not wrong. And here's the one thing I guess is a not a Big Ten person from the past. When you kind of mentioned that Scott Frost and Nebraska looked down on the Big Ten, I guess I grew up in the state. I never felt that. I didn't okay. I didn't think anything okay. towards the Big Ten. I didn't look down on them. I just didn't think anything towards it. We didn't play you. I didn't look down on the Pac-10. We just didn't play and that's, them. What and I, that's where like, I, I sent you that that tweet from mm-hmm. a pretty, pretty big Penn State following where they alluded to it too. Like, you know, Nebraska fans thought they were going to walk into the Big Ten and own the Big Ten. You know, like it's mm-hmm. not just Iowa fans that think like like – Wherever that prevailing thought has come from, it hasn't just come from one fan base in the Big Ten outside of Nebraska. There's a couple of them. Minnesota has yeah. come to that party and now, I'm, too. 
I'm really curious because I'm, I'm speaking for myself here again. I can't speak for the fan base. I try to put myself back in the shoes of what was I thinking in 2010 of Nebraska. It wasn't even just assessing, do I think the Big Ten's good or bad, which was our initial conversation. My basic assessment was, where's Nebraska at right now? And we were getting better. We were pr- we were progressing from the Callahan years. We were in year two and three of Pelini. We were within a razor thin of being a two-time Big 12 title team, and we lost them both, right? That's the reality. I didn't feel like we were Alabama leaving the Big 12 and we're just going to come into the Big 10 or any conference and just take it over. In fact, switching conferences is a ridiculously stupid transition that most coaches will never have to do in their life. And it takes a heck of a transition. This is more than just changing coaches. This is not Hayden Fry to Kirk Ferentz. This is not Tom Osborne to Solich. You are literally switching everybody you play, every venue, your recruiting region, Everything changes. And so I guess from my perspective, and again, I can't speak for Husker Nation, but I never thought that we were just going to come in and dominate it. But I wasn't expecting what I saw the last decade either. I give that credit to the Big Ten being good to start with and getting better and to Nebraska being dysfunctional at times over the course of the last decade. But that part has changed the last two to three years. The leadership of Nebraska from literally the top down, I'm talking chancellor down to head coach, is the best I have seen it be for Nebraska football in a long time. And that's where I'm not as concerned about the last two years. But those two years, that's part of a transition. Ask Kirk Ferentz back in 2099. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would just go back to what we just talked about a little bit before about you know the prevailing thought process for a lot of Big Ten fans is that Nebraska thought they were going to come in. And like yeah. it, you, you don't seem to agree with that. So kudos to you. I, I still <laughs> feel like I still feel like maybe you're in the minority of the Nebraska fan base, or at least the minority in the vocal part of the Nebraska fan base. And you know, like the a lot of that comes from when just last year, I remember after Nebraska got beat pretty handily by Minnesota. I mean, that was that was a beatdown in in Minneapolis. And the next week, you were playing Indiana, and I listened to. A Nebraska podcast. I read through Twitter, and it was basically like, "Well, at least we got Indiana coming into town. Like, we're gonna get this W and and get moving forward." And I just remember thinking, like, Indiana's pretty good, you know. Like, how are you considering this an auto W going into this game? Again, I'm not saying everybody did, but like, and then after the loss to Indiana, the thought process was, we should never lose to a team like Indiana. Like that loss last year. I felt that's where the the angriest I've seen Nebraska <laughs> fans towards Scott Frost was after the Indiana game, where you saw the you know we should never lose to that. Well, I'll take I'll like take that. Nebraska Indiana and I'll switch sports. And if Nebraska beats Indiana in basketball, and we yes. have, and Indiana hasn't been blue blood level, but they are a blue blood of basketball. Yeah. I think Indiana fan would say we should never lose to Nebraska in basketball. I still would stand by that. We shouldn't lose to Indiana in football. Did we? Yes. But we shouldn't be, and that's part of Nebraska. And there is a there is a bravado there. We need to get back to that level, and the expectations need to be high. I don't like us resetting expectations right now and saying we're a couple years away still. Because what are we a couple years away from? If you tell me we're a couple years away from beating Ohio State and literally playing for the playoff, I'm like, I'm all for it. I'm like, okay, cool. I, I see but the I, vision. But I don't think that's what Moose and Frost are saying. I think well, saying, Frost isn't saying any of that. Well, Moose so is. Okay. I think Moose is playing the right role as an AD right now, which is, of course, by his time. And then next year, can we come out there next year and do what in year three can Frost do? What 
reflected in year three, which is start the season off slow, have a schedule that is manageable. When I mean manageable for the first seven, I'm not saying Purdue's bad. That's our first team. I'm not saying Illinois is bad. Okay. I mean, Big Kurt would be all over me for that, right? I'm not saying Northwestern's bad, but I'm saying Rutgers, Northwestern, Purdue, and Illinois are about as manageable of Big Ten teams as you're going to play. Would you agree with me there? I agree. Okay. And then from a not. I agree. And that was a great setup to it. Yeah. So that, in that vernacular, that's why I agree with you. (laughs) Sure. And even the non conference that we play next year, you know, look, it's the first time ever. You can go back in Nebraska's history. We don't play a non-conference Power 5 team. It's just yep. a strange season. But does yep. that mean Cincinnati's going to be a pushover? Are you kidding me? South Dakota State, a team that took Minnesota, that same Minnesota team that built itself up and beat Auburn the way they did, that South Dakota State team could have beat them. I mean, we can't look past anybody. And okay. yet, how important are those first seven games? Because by week eight, we're going to the horseshoe. And, 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 and that's where this has been as – Different of an off season for Nebraska fans mm-hmm. in relation to the expectations that I've ever seen since I've been on Twitter, which is like five or six years. And this is where I think an interesting conversation is at. Cause essentially what you're coming into is realistic <laughs> expectations. That's what you're doing. You're realistically looking at your schedule. I'm not seeing any minimum 10 and two. I think we got a shot at 12 and 0. I saw that stuff before the 2018 season. Like people were that convinced Frost was going to come in and kick some butt. I remember I went back and forth on Twitter with with a Nebraska fan, and I'm, and I remember I just was like, you know, I think it's going to take Frost more than the first two games to just run waste of the Big Ten. Like I think you know it, it's going to be a tough conference to to win this year. And he just was telling me, you don't understand, Scott Frost. This is like blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, he said. Anyways, I hate Wisconsin, and and I'm like, I have no idea why he thought I was a Wisconsin fan. I just figured the whole time he knew I was an Iowa. So I thought that was unique. So my point is, I know that loud portion of the fan base was alive and well right after Scott Frost got uh, named as a coach. And then, going into last year, I think it was a little bit curtailed, but then the national media, I will admit, I think they pumped the tires of Nebraska fans going into 2019. So I know Nebraska fans say that. I actually agree with that. Now, this year, you're not seeing that. The national media isn't going to jump on Nebraska. And now Nebraska fans are, you know, realistically saying, holy buckets, those last five games. And you're even being more realistic, like, what can we do in the first seven? That's what Iowa fans do. And we've gotten destroyed by it by – Nebraska fans. So, like, when an Iowa fan looks at a schedule and they're like, oof, that's a tough one. I would take nine and three. I don't think that makes us losers. That makes us realistic on how do you wind up going 11 and one versus a conference when you're playing at Iowa State, at Michigan, Penn State at home, at Wisconsin, at Minnesota. I mean, that's a tough schedule to go 10 and two and 11 and one in. We've done a podcast for three years now, and we've won 13 games during that time. Having said that, my least favorite podcast is to do the preseason pick Dave is the one that always wants to do it, and we have to pick teams. I hate doing the picking because I'll just tell you every year, I'm just going to say 12-0. and 0. If I'm right, I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. That part doesn't matter to me. I can't look at a schedule and go, I'll take 9-3. and three. Because every time, what's funny is we've done this thing on Twitter where we will say, what do you think we're going to go? And people will say six and six or nine and three or eight and four or whatever. And then you break it down game by game. 
And almost every time when it's a game by game breakdown, we go 12 and 0. Because once you get to the individual games, nobody wants to say, oh, we're going to lose to that team. We'll, we'll magically go eight and four, but that eight and four can't be because of Iowa. It can't be because of Wisconsin. It can't be because of this team. And by the time you do that enough times, well, there's no one left. You, you know, you've gone 11 and one, 12 and 0. And, we, and it's and the Kool Aid part. I hope this is the thing. I, I really mean this sincerely for Iowa fans and anyone else. I hope that there is black and gold Kool-Aid out there because part of being a fan is just sometimes dreaming the thing that isn't possible too, or seemingly impossible. And I mean, trust me, there's, there's black and gold. I, it, and, and I hope and that. I mean, and a lot of times I feel like those are the Iowa fans that sit next to me in Kinnick stadium. Where at some <laughs> point I turn around and I've said this literally, I've said this, you could, my little brother and I sit next to each other, you know, all the time during the games. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, the other team is on scholarship as well, okay? Like, shut your pie hole. Um, so they're out there, you know, like, they're, they're they're alive. But for me, like, Kurt and I go, we break down, you know, the whole Big Ten. We break sure. down all 14 schedules and predict things out. Obviously, I'm always going to take the Iowa schedule a little bit at heart. I get what you're saying about you go one game at a time and you, you view it like that. I get that. Um, what I've typically kind of wind up doing is you basically group it into three things extremely hard to win should not lose that game and in the middle you know and you kind of do a little bit of math with it and then you know and then the other side of it is look at what your team has to do and that team that they're playing has to do right before it meaning if you are playing two road games in a row and it's, I'm making this up, but you had to go to Wisconsin and to Minnesota, you know, if you're Purdue or whatever, I don't know. Like, and, and what, and that second game where you're going to Minnesota, they're coming off a bye, brother, that's a tough game to win right there. Like oh, sure. it is, you have to take that into consideration. And it's, it's, it definitely seems like Nebraska fans are finally doing that now. And I just feel like that is a new phenomenon and i feel like you and other nebraska podcast people have said it like you guys are almost like adverse to people telling you good things right now because you don't even want to hear it you just know that you know you've been stung where you don't want to hear the good stuff right now so to me that is finally the process you guys have i tend to be a little bit on the opposite side of some of that i see things a little different i see them in, in the sense of progress I can look at last year, and, and to your point about math, math hasn't been a great thing for Nebraska the last couple of years, as you know. The difference between 3-9 and nine and 9-3 nine and three for Nebraska is pretty razor thin, but when you do all the, the little things wrong, and what are the little things? It is turnovers. It is special teams. It, it's, it's going up 41-3 to three collectively on Indiana, Purdue, and Colorado and losing all those games. It is yeah, I mean, like, losing they, they, four games by a touchdown or less, and Iowa wins four games by a touchdown or less, and what does Iowa do? They make more field goals than they do extra points. They do all the little things right, and that's going to win a bunch of close games. What drives me crazy with some Husker fans right now are the ones that are like, we are miles away. I'm like, dude, are we miles away from the Iowa team that beat us by a field goal and then turned around and did what you said they did to USC? Are we miles away, or do we need to clean up some stuff, and do we need to get yeah. our red shirts out on the so, field? All those things. I mean, that's what Nebraska needs to do right now. You know, obviously the only thing we have to go on right now for sports is replays. And ESPN <laughs> and Big Ten has been putting replays on there. One of them that recorded 
because I, I have settings up because I try to record literally every Big Ten game during the season mm-hmm. uh, because I try to rewatch them. You know, that way I can more intelligently break the teams down to the podcast. So it recorded the Nebraska Colorado game from yeah. 2018. Oh, the and 18 the like first the first game of the first game. Oh, okay. so the first game. And the thing is, is I that game you could dang near put it to the first half, but certainly that game has been a microcosm of the first 24 games of Scott Frost's tenure. I mean, at halftime, I remember the stat, Nebraska was up 21 to 14. Mm-hmm. And at some point in the second quarter, the rushing yards was 180 <laughs> to 8 in that game. That's how bad Nebraska was beating up Colorado for ru- for running the ball. Um, how do you wind up losing that game? At home now, a twenty-one to fourteen lead at halftime is not insurmountable for sure. anybody. But a twenty-one to fourteen halftime lead when you're winning the rushing attack that bad, typically it opens up in the second half and the the team. But they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, <laughs> and that has happened multiple times under Frost. Yeah, against and Wisconsin this year, Dedrick Mills averages eleven yards a carry on seventeen carries for one hundred eighty-five yards. We're running the ball very successfully, but to your point, we had a hundred plus yard possession that ended in no points. And that's let, what I'm saying. Let me repeat yeah. that. That is about as crazy of a stat as you're gonna get to have a hundred plus yards. Yeah. You know, I mean that's I get it. And that's the thing. I think from a frost standpoint, the guy's learning. I mean, all coaches are, but he's obviously going into year five as a head coach, and he's made some changes on the staff. We'll see how that that works out. But there are some areas I think that Without without major revamps, and that's the best thing. I mean, if this was a recruiting issue where you know we're five years away because of talent, that's that's a longer build. But if it is literally, there's some things to clean up. If we make a couple of field goals here and there, my goodness, basic things, it can make a big difference in a short period of time. But so, I think year three can yeah. do a lot for a coach. Flex showed that, and we need some success. That's the biggest thing right now. We need some wins, and that's where I think those first seven games are so important is that we need to win some games, get some confidence going. It's going to sound a lot like a gopher from a year ago, but that's what I think Nebraska needs as much as anything. And then when we get to that point, then we'll be unbearable because, you know, we'll be telling everyone how great we are. That's what Jim says. Um, <laughs> so uh, here's the thing, okay? This is a debate, right? So we're going we're gonna to debate this a yep. little bit. I you have to believe in Frost because you're a Nebraska fan and you need to see what you want to see to a certain degree. Every fan base does that. I'm not trying to rain on your parade. And what do you care? I'm not a Nebraska fan, so you shouldn't even really care about my opinion all that much anyways. What I know is that I was on the football team that was the second year under Coach Ferentz. We were so much better by the end of our second year than we were the beginning of the first year, you know, like if you broke it up into six game, you know, situations, the first six, the second six of the first year, and then the first six and the second six of the second year under coach Ferentz, those last six games, we were good. Like we were a bull quality team. Mm-hmm. Those last six games. It's just that we still weren't there. Okay. I saw that under, um, Fleck as well. They were, not that great in 2017. They were darn good by the end of 2018 and blasted Georgia Tech in the bowl game. 
then they had a you know a good schedule. They had a schedule that they needed to take advantage of, and they did. That's not a knock against them. They had a schedule to take advantage of, and they did it. I'm not seeing the improvement from the last first six games of Scott Frost's tenure to the last six games of last year in 2019. In fact, I think they were a better football team in 2018 than they were in 2019. I will disagree 100%. And number one, I'll start with, well, how good was Iowa then at the end of the year? Because if Iowa was good enough to do what they did to USC, like you said, I mean, you're either discrediting your own team because Nebraska took them down to the last second. It was a last-second field goal. That's what that game was. But I'll also talk about the last three or four weeks of the season. Nebraska was the least penalized team in the country. Now, we were a penalized team, a very heavily penalized team, all of 2018. So finally, from a culture standpoint of getting the little things right, and we are tired of hearing about doing the little things wrong, but not being penalized. That was a big deal. Frost did one thing specifically last year that really only coaches that have some clout and ability to do it do is that he redshirted a bunch of dudes. And that's a big deal because you can go to Florida State and Arkansas right now and see what coaches did that thought they could build a program. They got two years and not even that. This is where the success has to start happening. And this is where I don't buy into the be patient for two and three years. I don't. What he's done the first two years has to start showing up next year. If you think Husker fans didn't like losing to Indiana because from a cachet standpoint, Indiana doesn't sparkle on paper, watch us lose to South Dakota State and see how people respond. Watch us lose to Central Michigan and see how people respond. It's not going to – that's not going to go over well. So, so I agree I agree with a lot, if you can just let me interject here a little yep. bit before I uh, – so I agree with a lot of what you said. That the improvement on the penalties was a big deal. So I hear a lot about how close Iowa and, and Nebraska was are because they only lost by three points in 2018 and th- 2019. You know, we have difference in opinion here, right? I'm an Iowa fan, you're a Nebraska fan. Sure. Okay, Looking at 2019, situationally speaking, you guys were fighting to get to a bowl game at home. Iowa had to go on the road after playing Minnesota. That was a huge game. You know, sure. we knocked off Minnesota the week before. Like, like Kirk Hershey says all the time, these football teams change from week to week in college more than they do probably any other sport. Situationally speaking, a lot of the non-X's and O's and personnel things lined up for Nebraska before the 2019 game. Like, it's not just about that game. The difference in Nebraska and, and Iowa last year wasn't three points. It was five wins difference. Because you got to look over the whole schedule. I feel like I need, you know, like some something to smoke or something. This is getting really deep. I just look at what I see on the field, and I see a Nebraska team that's competing physically in the trenches, and I see a Nebraska team that took Iowa down to the end. I'm not debating whether we won or lost. What about a Minnesota team that beat Nebraska up in the trenches? That's that's what I saw when I played. But an Iowa team that got the better of Minnesota in the trenches that same year. I mean, that that game was played two weeks after, like – it's not just Iowa. You have to get – when you start to go game by game, you literally have to break games down into to parts. That Minnesota-Nebraska game, look, I mean, we were down, what, 31 nothing. So from a, a scoreboard standpoint, awful. I can also look at it and go, you know, we made mistakes. We were down, I think it was 7 nothing or 
may, I don't think it was 14 nothing yet, and we threw the ball a screen pass that went down to the three-yard line, and we have a guy on the backside blocking in the back. Take it yep. back. Penalties, yep. right? Penalties were yep. killing us. And they fumbled the ball at their 10-yard line. They're, that game could have been completely different. A couple things happened. But I never tried to defend the fact that I don't want to downplay what Minnesota did either. I give them credit. They, they earned that victory on us. But I will say is that I saw a team at Nebraska that got better throughout the course of the season. And we're getting the strength and conditioning stronger. The recruiting's getting better. I mean, look, we can have this discussion again after next season, and we'll have a lot more data to talk about. The first two years are, are not great right now to talk about Frost. This would be similar. This would honestly be like having a discussion about Ferentz after the 2000 season. I mean, if we had so that during I, that offseason, I, mean, I think it would be a I very – as, as far as the – the conversation is because now I'm going to kind of talk out of two sides of my mouth. Um, I don't think Nebraska is that far away from Minnesota, Iowa, and probably even Wisconsin. Okay. But you know, in that same vernacular, Iowa only lost to Wisconsin by two points last year, you know, like Mm -hmm. you could use that as well. Nebraska only beat Northwestern by three points last year. Do you think you're only three points better than Northwestern going into next year? We talked with Brett Seancia of pick six last summer and that the summer of all the, the hype that was happening. And we were like, this is crazy. It's coming from the outside, but he would talk about, you know, his game grader formula and how he grades, how Nebraska would have done against like the Northwestern two years ago, Northwestern wins the West, doesn't win a single non-conference game, wins all these close games and he's like, my game grader formula has them at five and six, five and seven, but they did all the little things right, and you win games. And Nebraska did so many little things wrong time and again for the majority of the last two years. We've lost a lot of games because of that. I mean, what else can the, I say? And that's where the, yeah, and that's where the difference to me is not a three-point difference between Iowa and Nebraska, it's it's it, at some point you got to be judged by the, the win-loss column. That, My thing with so Iowa like, is I don't feel like we just did all the little things right against Iowa either, and it was a three-point game. You know, we kicked it short and allowed a kickoff return there. And, we ran and out of so bounds Iowa, at the end of the game when Iowa shouldn't even have the ball to end the game. They shouldn't right. even have an opportunity at it. So th- those and are mental an, mistakes. Real quick, from an Iowa fans, fans' point of view, we were up, was it 17-nothing or 14-nothing? really quick in that game. Yes, it was a terrible start for us. And we're motoring down the field again. Like, I thought that game at that point had a chance to be over at halftime, and then we threw a pick six. So the pick six doesn't get brought up a lot by Nebraska fans. That was the ultimate momentum changer in that game. That completely restarted the game. Now, Well, until five seconds later. But but still, like, I think there's a difference between going up 21 to nothing if, if that's where I think I can't remember exactly, I'm pretty sure they had two touchdowns on the board. I'm pretty at that sure point. You did. that was, and, and, it, and Iowa was basically running the ball, pretty much doing what they wanted to do, run the ball. Then we went to a shell after that. Like I think if Iowa goes down and scores to make it 21 to, to nothing, or maybe it was would have been 17 to nothing, and they were dominating, that would have been better than you know trading the pick six and the and the the the, the, the um, kickoff return back. So. My point yeah. I make is, and I don't think because I, I quite got there, I am with you in that I don't think a lot of these teams are that far apart. Um, we are eons away from Clemson 
Ohio State, LSU last year, probably Bama again. Like, we're a long ways away from those teams. Then you get to somewhere around the fifth or sixth team in the country, all the way down to, I would say, around like 35, 40. I don't have this scientifically, you know, figured out. Those teams are very close to each other in the fact that turnovers, right, penalties, the timing of the turnovers and the penalties, those things make a huge difference. But we've seen a 24-game study of, of Scott Frost with that stuff. Yeah. That stuff's got to start looking better. Again, you'll never get me to disagree with that. That's why I think that this is a – to even try to make any conclusions after 24 games, I think it's just too soon. I think it's too soon for the Arkansas and the Florida States to do what they did. It would have been too soon at Iowa after 2000, correct? So I just want to make it clear. Like, I don't think – Scott Frost should be on the hot seat, nor obviously is he. He is on the hot seat. I don't think either one of those are true. Um, but it's just it's a, it's a big year, right? It's, I will definitely I, agree. I think I think Nebraska could be anywhere from four and eight to ten and two, and there's obviously extreme levels of despair. To holy cow, this is amazing in that win total that I just gave, mm-hmm. and. Another thing, okay, this is just like trying to stay on the same topic, but like I very much understand that Scott Frost is an offensive mind. I mean, there's, I don't think that's up for debate. It's going to be tied next year very much to Adrian Martinez. It, I, the Adrian Martinez I saw in 2018 to 2019, crazy different, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and then as time goes on, Right. The thing that I'm going to be interested to see is exactly how the thought process for spreading it out on uh, offense and then the defense running the three, four and being an attacking three, four to try to force turnovers and quick three and outs, I think, is the thought process by Chenander. I'm just curious on exactly how that balances out versus Wisconsin, Iowa and Minnesota. And I think it kind of ties into who did Oregon have the most issues with Stanford in the 12 Stanford every time so I just I can't get past that like if, if if there's something that would give me some anxiety on Frost ultimately having success in the Big Ten West with what Iowa Wisconsin and now I think you say Minnesota has established it, it's going to be interesting to see how those things play out yeah I, I heard Frost at a clinic talk about it I mean the philosophy is it's Oregon speed with with Husker power and I think there's I think that's a strong base of a philosophy to build off of. I also, I know it's kind of the famous quote that he gave at his opening conference where he goes, I hope the Big Ten has to adjust to us. And I said it on the show with Jim in Minnesota. I I still believe in that at, I'll say, a 75-25% kind of thing. I still think that if he does, and I think he's doing the right things, I think over time it will force the Big Ten to adjust at a 75% level. But I think there's... We have to acknowledge the 25% stuff, too. And what does that mean? It, it's everything from, you know, having to get under center, maybe huddling up every once in a while. Maybe it's a fullback. Maybe it's some of the defensive things that – or defensive concerns that you're having there, too. There is an adjustment that obviously needs to go both ways there. And so if anybody thought – and I'll say this to any Husker fan or anything. If anyone thought that we are just going to step into the Big Ten in 2011 and dominate, if anyone thought that Frost was just going to come in in 2018 and just dominate right away, I don't know what to say. That's that's not the words that I would have been using at, at the time. And, I'm, and again, I'm, I'm going off of some 
one-on-one interactions on Twitter and take it as it is, right? Sure. Um, but we always, as I tell, as I tell Jim, it's fun to have conversations like the one you and I are having because sometimes you have to get off of Twitter to have the intelligent sure. conversation. And I right? feel, and I feel the same way from you know me having a perspective on the other side of things. Um, to give some compliments though back to Nebraska fans, what they saw is what I saw last year in that Dedrick Mills should have been the workhorse all year, at least four or five games in. They they had success running between the tackles against Ohio State mm-hmm. and went away from it. Didn't do enough of it versus a couple other teams I could name. That was one of the times where I literally was watching that and I'm thinking, Scott Frost is, is he's kind of grasping for straws right mm-hmm. now with this. And I get the thought process, like, you spread the defense out by making them honor the bubble screens on the outside, and then you tag them up the middle. I I get that. Like, I, I get that side of it. Mm-hmm. But I felt like there was maybe another win in there or maybe at least cl- a couple more closer games had they done that. That was one of the things along the way in 2019 that gave me concern for, for Nebraska. Sure. and. I guess one of the things that gives me hope there is that you're not the only person saying that. I heard the same thing from Greg Austin, who's he's the O-line coach, and now he's been elevated to run game coordinator. And he said some of the exact same things that you basically just said there. And that's the biggest thing to me is to continue to evolve and make changes as you need to. I've done Husker history stuff of Osborne in the 25 years now. He changed and evolved offenses and defenses, but he had the time to do it. You know, he had the support. Now, he also had wins along the way, and that's what Frost needs, desperately needs some wins to help to give him that time to keep making the necessary changes, whatever he feels to, to make. But he's changed the offensive coordinator here. He's, he's upgraded a, a run game coordinator to where I think that he's addressing some of the very issues you're talking about. But it's not a whole lot of good, you know, use to try to project it right now. We need to see it on the field. I mean, this isn't, this isn't the time for – you know, me coming out yeah. and saying we're going to run for 300 no. yards on Iowa next year. Let's, I'd love it, but let's see it. I mean, I think, like you guys pointed out, the offensive line did look better. It, it was probably almost for sure the most improved grouping over the course of 2019. Um, I personally believe the talent that Adrian Martinez had to work with was much better in 2018. Um, I am a gigantic Stanley Morgan Jr. Sure. Uh, fan like he was incredible and it just it just wasn't there last year as much and Ozigbo was really good in 2018 as well so and I think that's that, something you can talk to the, the the development side of this team and this coaching staff what they did with Ozigbo I mean that wasn't going to happen under Riley and and no. to the extent of what they did with Morgan too I mean Morgan's a great receiver and he was coming into it but still they used the players that they had, developed them well there. So I think that's a good sign there. Now let's move over to the other side of the ball. I mean, I don't know what to say. Like, it seems like a feast or famine thing to me. Um, I have seen snippets of when all of a sudden it's very disrupt- disruptive. I've seen it. So I'm not saying it's not possible, but I don't know. I guess I see a lot of linebackers guessing. I see a lot of people out of position in general yeah. in the defense. That's one of the reasons like when we talk about the Minnesota game, I almost don't even like to talk about it because our D-line wasn't just getting manhandled by Minnesota. 
they would do their job. They, look, if you're running a 3-4, you better have four linebackers that are making tackles and not overrunning gaps and not – I mean, that's – and there are people that question the scheme right now. And, again, for me, it's it's just too early. I've heard people say you can't run the 3-4 and have success, and all I do is point at Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin. look, anybody yep. – it's not even about what scheme we run at, at this point. You need to – we need to have guys that are doing their jobs, and we've won some close games. The defense has played well in some games, and then they've been – way off on others. I mean, that is a fair critique, and I want to see what they do in year three. I mean, again, I I feel like when you look at Big Ten teams going into 2020, Nebraska is an intriguing team, right? Is you there know? another team? You mentioned the 4-8 and eight to kind of 10-2 and two kind of range. Is there another team in the Big Ten that you see that has that kind of range, I guess? Oh, man, off the top of my head. You know, here's the thing. I think Iowa has a roughly four and eight to ten and two spread in them every year. I don't know. I'm crazy. <laughs> but I, I because I could look at something as simple as lose to Iowa State and a couple key injuries, you know, like we've got I think a pretty good starting quarterback, but if he goes down we've got questions there. I'm just saying it's not impossible for Iowa to go freaking four and eight. So I would throw Iowa in there, I would throw Purdue in there. Um hard to see Wisconsin being less than seven or eight wins, quite honestly. Um, yeah, they're about as consistent as anything right now. Yeah, Indiana, I would throw in there. Um, well, maybe not 10 and 2. So, not a lot of teams that are like that. I think, you know, Ohio State, Penn State, I would definitely have, and Wisconsin, I would definitely have finishing higher. Rutgers, Maryland are awful, so they're not going to even make a bowl game. Um, yeah, that would, that would probably be pretty much my list right there. But, you're, you, but your point, I think you're trying to make is yeah, there's not a ton of teams that probably have that, that spread in them, if you will. Well, thank you so much, Jeffrey. This has been an outstanding discussion. Uh, this took my mind off of a lot more serious issues that are going on in the world right now. And yeah. and for that, I, I thank you, and, and this has been a lot of fun. That was Bef- a blast. We probably got more stuff we could unpack and do oh. Oh, some heck other yeah. time, So Before we leave, uh, you and I talked about a lot of things earlier, and, and one of the things was the, the legacy and everything of Hayden Fry. And if you go back to the Redcast in late December, we talked about the passing of him and, and wanted to give our condolences to you and to all of, of Hawkeye Nation. The similarities between Fry, what he meant to Iowa, and what Devaney meant to Nebraska, I've said this before, that it's quite stunning, you know, and what they did at their respective schools. I mean, they built something. So, Jeffrey, you know, as someone who was recruited by and played for Coach Fry, do you have, you know, any one memory or thought or anything you'd like to share with us on what he meant to you personally and, and to the state of Iowa? For me, lots of stories. And I would just say when – he came to my house to recruit my older brother, and I was nine years old. It was insane. I mean, it was like the president walking into your house. He came to my high school when he recruited me, and it's it's like the whole uh, lunchroom stopped and stared when he was walking through the school with me. You know, like, you'll never forget that stuff. Um, the one quick story, just like a personal story, was when he was at my house to recruit my brother, he had cowboy boots on and the cowboy <laughs> boots had a tiger hawk on them in my mind i remember the tiger hawk being in gold whether or not they were or not can't say but that's how my brain remembers it when i was like nine uh-huh. and the tiger and the tiger hawk had a rose in its beak you know because for going to the rose bowl twice already at that point and uh i remember my mom said hayden would you like something to drink and he said well shoot i wouldn't mind something to wet my whistler and I, I will never forget that you know like i just like i will never forget that 
Coach Fry has shaped my life and still to this day. I mean, him giving me a scholarship and, you know, is, is something that it just lasts forever. And he's done that for a ton of other guys. So I very much appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, really cool of you to do that. The podcast is The Eyes on Big. Redcasters, subscribe. Follow them on Twitter. It's well worth your time. Now, as is customary on the Redcast, uh, the host ends each episode by allowing the others uh, to give a parting shot. So, Jeffrey the Greek, the floor is yours. Looking forward to 2020 season. Yes, I think we're going to have the 2020 season um, come Woo-hoo. Booker Krug. And look forward to uh, how it shapes up and look forward to get to know you guys on the podcast more and more. Uh, thank you so much again, Jeffrey the Greek, for joining us tonight. And we'll call that another Go Big Redcast. <laughs>